Greetings fellow travelers through the liturgical year. This is Lisa Davis with your February 10th feast day quick take on the Feast of Saint Scholastica. There are many dynamic duos whose lives we remember on the liturgical calendar. We just passed a couple of the feast days, for instance, of Saints Peter and Paul, our first pope, whose name has been purposely juxtaposed throughout the year with his friend and occasional critic, Saint Paul, the famous convert, the apostle to the Gentiles. As different as night and day, these two, but equally important to the foundation of the Church. You might remember Saints Felicity and Perpetua, one a slave, the other a noblewoman, with little in common save the faith. Yet they were martyred together in the third century, their names forever paired, a testimony to heaven's perspective of rank. They share seats before the throne of God. How about St. John Vianney and St. Philomena, who lived in two different millennia, but are forever linked in the faith? It's hard to find two saints who shared a greater bond of affection than these two, though he was a parish priest of the mid-nineteenth century, and she was a Greek princess of the third century. Another dynamic duo is the team of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, both great saints whose names we remember as the two renowned reformers of the Carmelite order in the sixteenth century. They were the greatest of friends— but two more opposite personalities you'd be hard-pressed to find. Then there are the brothers Saints Cosmas and Damien, whose feast we celebrate at the end of September, both physicians and martyrs at the turn of the 4th century. They share a rare distinction on the calendar, along with 3rd century martyrs Saints Crispin and Crispinian, of having been twins, like today's saint, who was also a twin, the twin sister of St. Benedict. She is remembered as having been the first abbess of Benedictine sisters at the time her brother was founding his famed order of Benedictines at Monte Cassino in the 6th century. But we know almost nothing else about her. According to the Ot 7 Catholic Encyclopedia, we have only one concrete date related to the life of St. Benedict. It was recorded by a certain abbot Tosti that the king of the Goths, a King Totila, visited Monte Cassino in the year 543, when the Benedictine founder was, quote, advanced in age. Abbot Tosti puts the saint's death in the same year. Just before his death, we hear for the first time of his sister, Scholastica. End quote. The little we know about St. Scholastica we learn from St. Gregory the Great. Citing four of St. Benedict's contemporaries as sources, St. Gregory, in his famous dialogues, tells us that Scholastica was born sometime close to the year 480 in Nursia Umbria, which is in central Italy. Her father, Anesius Euproprius, and her mother, Claudia, were wealthy and well-regarded. We know from the dialogues only that St. Scholastica was St. Benedict's sister. It's a later tradition that calls her his twin, and it is actually disputed among some scholars whether this is meant biologically or spiritually, but it's very likely both. We know from St. Gregory that St. Scholastica was dedicated to God from a young age, and that she and Benedict were brought up together until the time he left to pursue his studies in Rome. It's lost to history when exactly St. Scholastica joined her brother in the religious life.
but we know that they were one in their profound love of God and in their dedication to the founding of the Benedictine order, he for men, she for women. They both lived well into their sixties, which was considered a venerable old age in their day. The fruits of the Benedictine order properly characterize St. Benedict in his sanctity and in his devotion to the will of God, and countless stories survive of his miracles and accomplishments. We have, however, only one story from the life of St. Scholastica, but it's a wonderful story, one that not only gives us a good picture of the woman she was, but which shows her part in a parable of sibling life, and not just sibling life, but human interaction in general, which is the same all over the world, in all ages, even among very holy people. St. Scholastica and St. Benedict had the one great interest in common, the love of God. And, of course, they loved one another as brother and sister in Christ, but also as real brother and sister, with the deepest fidelity and affection, and a little occasional bellyaching. Even the greatest saints, you see, have disagreements. But God makes it right in the end. Here's the account as told by St. Gregory the Great. Quote, Scholastica was the sister of the venerable Father Benedict. She had been consecrated to Almighty God from her very infancy, and was accustomed to visit her brother once a year. The man of God came down to meet her at a house belonging to the monastery, not far from the gate. It was the day for the usual visit, and her venerable brother came down to her, accompanied by some of his brethren. The whole day was spent in the praises of God and holy conversation and at nightfall they took their repast together. While they were at table, and it grew late as they conferred with each other on sacred things, the holy nun thus spoke to her brother, I beseech thee, stay the night with me, and let us talk till morning on the joys of heaven. He replied, What is this thou sayest, sister? On no account may I remain out of the monastery. The evening was so fair, that not a cloud could be seen in the sky. When, therefore, the holy nun heard her brother's refusal, she clasped her hands together, and resting them on the table, she hid her face in them, and made a prayer to the God of all power. And as soon as she raised her head from the table, there came down so great a storm of thunder and lightning and rain, that neither the venerable Benedict nor the brethren who were with them could set foot outside the place where they were sitting. And the Holy Virgin had shed a flood of tears as she leaned her head upon the table, and the cloudless sky poured down the wished-for rain. The prayer was said, the rain fell in torrents, there was no interval, but so closely on each other were prayer and rain that the storm came as she raised her head. Then the man of God, Seeing that it was impossible to reach his monastery amidst all the lightning, thunder, and rain, was sad and said complainingly, God forgive thee, sister, what hast thou done? But she repaid, I asked thee a favor, and thou wouldst not hear me. I asked it of my God, and he granted it. Go now, if thou canst, to the monastery, and leave me here but it was not in his power to stir from the place, so that he who would not stay willingly 
had to stay unwillingly and spend the whole night with his sister, delighting each other with their questions and answers about the secrets of the spiritual life. On the morrow, the holy woman returned to her monastery and the man of God to his. When lo, three days after he was in his cell and raising his eyes, he saw the soul of his sister going up to heaven in the shape of a dove. Full of joy at her being thus glorified, he thanked his God in hymns of praise and told the brethren of her death. He straightway bade them go and bring her body to the monastery, which having done, he had it buried in the tomb he had prepared for himself. Thus it was that as they had ever been one soul in God, their bodies were united in the same grave. End quote. And so they lie, brother and sister, in the same tomb at Monte Cassino, a pilgrimage site now for almost fifteen centuries. St. Scholastica is the patron saint of Benedictine nuns, of education, and of children who suffer from seizures. She's also invoked against storms and rain, as you might have guessed she would be. But this story of the thunder and lightning intervention bears some thought, doesn't it? Why, you might ask, is this the one story of St. Scholastica that God wanted to filter down to us through the centuries? What can the lesson be? In all the tales of St. Benedict, his counsel is sought as the wisest, his intercession the most providential, his mind acutely tuned to the will of God. But in this instance, we find him thwarted by his sister, what's more. Dom Garanger speaks to this point, quote, God, in his infinite wisdom, gave to St. Benedict a faithful coaptrix, a sister of such angelic gentleness of character, that she would be a sort of counterpoise or counterbalance to the brother, whose vocation as the legislator of monastic life needed a certain dignity of grave and stern resolve. We continually meet with these contrasts in the lives of the saints, notabene, and in our own lives, and they show us that there is a link of which flesh and blood know nothing, a link which binds two souls together, gives them power, harmonizes their differences of character, and renders each complete. Abbot Garanger continues, In the portrait drawn by St. Gregory the Great, we learn about the holy dispute she had with Benedict three days previous to her death. But how admirable is the portrait thus drawn in St. Gregory's best style! We seem to understand the whole character of Scholastica, an earnest simplicity, and a childlike eagerness for what was worth desiring, an affectionate and unshaken confidence in God a winning persuasiveness where there was opposition to God's will, which, when met with such an opponent as St. Benedict, called on God to interpose and gain its cause. St. Gregory the Great explains how it is that the sister won over the brother. It is not to be wondered at that the sister who wished to prolong her brother's stay should have prevailed over him, for whereas St. John tells us that God is charity— it happens by a most just judgment that she that had the stronger love had the stronger power. And here is the abbot's summary. Our season is appropriate for the beautiful lesson taught to us by St. Scholastica. 
fraternal charity. Her example should excite us to the love of our neighbor, that love for which God bids us labor, now that we are intent on giving him our undivided service and our complete conversion. The Easter solemnity for which we are preparing is to unite us all in the grand banquet, where we are all to feast on the one divine victim of love. Let us have our nuptial garment ready, for he that invites us insists on our having union of heart when we dwell in his house. End quote. Final takeaway. Have you ever heard that quote attributed to Socrates, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? That is us in the church suffering, the church triumphant, and the church militant, and all combinations within. But especially as regards us here on earth, mano a mano, many tend to think that being the church militant means fighting amongst ourselves. But I don't think that's what God had in mind. Now, don't get me wrong. There are always going to be just causes to struggle through together. There are always going to be stupid people to put up with, and cranky old people, and disrespectful young people, and crimes that cry to heaven for vengeance. But did you know that there are over 100 verses in Scripture where God commands us to love one another, and not one where he suggests we fight one another to achieve dominance and prove we are right? In fact, it's the opposite, of course. On several occasions, in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, for instance, and in Exodus chapter 14, God tells us that he will fight our fights. Our Lord tells us to take the last place at the table and reminds us repeatedly that the last will be first and the first last. We know that it has been the most profoundly humble who have merited the grace of being visionaries of Christ and his mother on earth. St. Margaret Mary, St. Anthony, St. Bernadette, the children at Fatima, to name a few. But pride and its minions, God by the sword of St. Michael, threw right out of heaven. Pride is the first and most insidious wedge between God and man, and a sadly common one between people, too. Don't you wonder if part of the lesson in the story of St. Scholastica is that perhaps, just maybe, St. Benedict had a small bit of pride in his rule that God wished to gently expunge. I mean, I don't know, but I wonder. St. Benedict wanted the last word, didn't he? We fulfill God's plan for making the whole greater than the sum of its parts by learning to get along, especially within our families and among the faithful, by bending whenever it's possible to bend, by giving the benefit of the doubt, by not insisting on the last word. Even if you are the acknowledged smartest person in the room, because as we just learned, the smartest person in the room is the one who loves the most. One thing that isn't recorded by St. Gregory the Great, and we won't know until we get to heaven when we get to find God in all the details. Don't you wonder how St. Benedict made the transition from being annoyed with his sister to, quote, delighting to converse with her about the secrets of the spiritual life? Can't you imagine him glaring out the window at the deluge, arms crossed, lightning flashes, thunder crashes, he steals a look at his sister out of the side of his eye. I imagine her cracking a smile. 
and then he sees the whole picture. Perspective corrective. The laugh is on him, and he does laugh. He would, you know, or at least chuckle. Scholastica had got her way, and God got his. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. Saint Scholastica, pray for us. Postscript. Check the show notes for the recipe for an Italian dish called Lightning and Thunder, or Lampi et Toni, if you'd like a special, simple meal to celebrate the feast day today.